0: chapter 35 Isaiah chapter 35 and as we've seen already in this uh, third week of Advent this is our third worship service during Advent that is uh, we have been in Isaiah the whole time and so oftentimes Advent is sort of an Isaiah Advent because he is such a big major prophet that's one of the reasons he's even called ...a major prophet. He writes more than anybody else... ...and we've seen that and talked about that before. And so here we go again with Isaiah... ...and we're deeper into the book now. Last week we had a wonderful uh, sermon from Isaiah... ...and looking at the new garden uh, that God is doing. And before that, first Sunday of Advent... ...a new mountain that God is taking us to. And so we've seen a mountain... ...and we've seen... Well, a new mountain, it didn't look the same, and then a new garden. Here, I might submit to you that we're, we're going to see something similar, and that is a new mountain garden, all right? So, let's, uh, let's look here as we open, our, open up the scriptures, and I, and I was thinking uh, what Pastor Bruce said earlier concerning opening gifts. You know, I think that the Lord, when we open this gift of his word, is on, he leans in. He wants to see Are we ready to hear this word? This is his gift to us. This cost people their lives. Did you know that? Isaiah lost his life. Jeremiah lost his life. Paul, Peter, Jesus to bring us this word. I wonder if we could have that same sort of expectation when we open this word that he has something to give us. Because he does. If we'll hear it, if we'll see it. So look with me and we're going to read the whole chapter here. ...of Isaiah chapter 35. Notice these words. This is the word of God. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly... ...and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it... ...the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart be strong, do not fear here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The hunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there. ...and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it... ...but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there... ...nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there... ...but the redeemed shall walk there... ...and the ransomed of the Lord shall return... ...and come to Zion with singing... Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for your word. We desire your word. We thirst for it and hunger for it. So, Lord, nourish us this morning. With these words we pray in your name. Amen. As we've already said a couple of weeks ago... ...prophets are mouthpieces of God. They're big mouths. I mean, put it simply. And many preachers are big mouths in this way. And here's the real uh, kicker of what we do as preachers... ...is we are mail carriers. In other words, it's not our message. We didn't think these things up. In fact... If I was wanting to communicate with people, I rarely do it in this sort of poetic symbolism that we find in the prophets. Have you noticed that? Have you ever tried to read the prophets? I hope so. All the 12 prophets, which are the minor prophets, and your major prophets utilize this sort of bursting imagery as they're speaking, don't they? And of course, really, if we think about it, we do too if we're trying to communicate with somebody that we love them, not just like loving ice cream or loving our vehicle or our house, but something more, we have to start using symbols, don't we? We start saying things like, I love you with all of my heart, uh, which can't obviously be just the palpitating four-chambered organ there, you know, that, because the response typically is this, right? It's like, do you love me with your left ventricle or your right? <laughs> all of it or just some of it? We, we, no, we, we get when it's, I love you with all my heart. And This is not a Christian thing. This is not a second, like, no, let's, let's, everybody uses this, right? This image of the heart. What do we mean by that? It's, I love you right here at the center, right here. Like, you take this out, you take me out, right? This important Thing in me I love you with all of that I give you my heart that's what we, we talk like this don't we symbolically why 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 don't, why don't you just tell somebody what you really think well because words often fail us don't they you know I dare say I I, I know Jessica more than anybody in the world anybody and I, I would go up against anyone because I've known her longer than anybody in the, in the world except for her family, but they don't know her like I do. So even her sisters don't know her like I do. I have this secret inside knowledge in being married to her that no one else has. It's interesting, isn't it? But if you were to ask me, say, you know, Marshall, just tell me who Jessica is. That, that's actually a difficult thing, isn't it? Have you ever tried to tell somebody who your spouse is or, or even who your kid Like, tell me about your kids. It's like, well, it's hard, isn't it? There's so much to capture that words begin to fail us. And I think the prophets are in the same boat. In other words, they receive these visions and they're thinking, oh, boy, now I've got to communicate this. How do I do that? Well, images are pretty good, aren't they? I mean, who forgets streams in the desert? This is kind of a famous, if you're in Christianity at all, like that's something that's famous. Why? Well, thanks to Isaiah, he mentions this image. Highway of holiness? Who's heard of that before? That's easily ascertained by an image. The fall of mankind. Most of us can recount it. Why? Because it's bursting with images. A tree, a garden, a snake, fruit. Right? Right? Images help us. And, of course, we don't have to look far. All of us in our homes have a TV which flashes images to us all the time that we love. And we probably have 30 subscriptions to images. And that's the way we communicate, isn't it? And it's the way the prophets communicate it. Here's why. It's because that's how God communicates. He likes symbolism. And so you ask they you say, man, some of these things that are going on here, is this symbolic or is it literal? Yes, it's both. Is what happened in the garden symbolic or literal? Yes, it's both. The Exodus, symbolic and literal? Yes, both. We, in an attempt to try to ground everything sometimes in Protestantism, in ...historical, factual data... ...have forgotten to read the Bible imaginatively. We have forgotten to really focus on the symbolism... ...that can communicate more than, quote, literal language. I love you with all my heart, in other words. communicates so much more than me writing a dissertation... ...about my love for Jessica. Doesn't it? Wouldn't you say that? It communicates something different... And so we, we kind of say that to say there's a lot going on in this text. And every time we come to the prophets, oftentimes we're getting sort of... ...is he talking about the first advent of Christ? Or is he talking about the second advent of Christ further out? I think it's both. <laughs> there's a little bit of both here. And it's not an either or in any of these matters... ...because the symbolism that we get from the beginning continues to... ...if I can use a big word, recapitulate... It it continues to get recapped over and over again. So, we fall, and what happens? We get pushed into the wilderness. Yeah? Well, what happens again? Israel is given the land. God is creating his own garden, right? And then, all of a sudden, get pushed in the wilderness again. Do you see this? What happens when Jesus comes? He, He announces that... ...I am here to preach good news. And then he goes where? To the wilderness. What happens in your Christian life? Most of us, if we could share our testimony... ...would say, the Lord radically saved me. He came into my life, made me new. I was born anew and then at some point entered a desert. Here we start where our gospel reading started... ...and that was in the wilderness where the New Testament opens up is in the wilderness with John, right? Not in flowing robes of purple in a king's house, but rather in the desert. And so this desert, however, is rejoicing and being glad, which is obviously a bit of symbolism there, right? And yet, we can look at a desert and say, boy, that's a sad thing. Or we can look at a desert that, like in California, Jack was telling us, ...when it rains there, which is rare because it's kind of a coastal desert area... ...then all of a sudden the desert blooms overnight, it blooms. And you can say, wow, what a blooming, flourishing sort of thing there is happening. It looks glad to me. That desert now looks happy. And he says, yes, that's what happens when this one comes. And of course, we move from this new, now, exodus... Because remember, God, again, in the Exodus, you remember what happens. God comes to them in their slavery, doesn't he? They are enslaved by a people. They are crying out for salvation. God comes and he saves them. And where does he put them? In the wilderness, in the desert, right? He sends them right into the wilderness. You know, as you read the Bible, you'll notice that all of the greats spent time in the desert. Can we think of... Jacob, well, let's back up to Abraham. He spent time in the desert. Jacob spent time in the desert. Joshua, uh, uh, what's his name? Joseph spent time in the desert. Guess who else? Moses. You remember how much time Moses spent in the desert? He was raised in 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in the desert. And then the burning bush calls him back into service. We all, and, and I mean, we could keep going, couldn't we? We could speak of John the Baptist. We could speak of Jesus himself who goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Have you experienced that wilderness? Do you know what I'm talking about? This desert situation where there are no regular amenities. What has worked before is not working now. Desert life, ...is a limited life. We don't have the same amenities that we do in town. The wilderness is a place of scarcity. Anybody ever been there? At one point when you prayed... ...the hair stood up on the back of your neck. You could feel the presence of God so strongly... ...you worshipped him in the mornings. But now when you wake up... ...and you open up your word and you cry out to God, you hear nothing. Anybody ever been there? I sure have. The greats all have. Moses for 40 years. I don't know how long you'll be in the desert or wilderness or if you've experienced that. And if you have, then you know that those are the times often when we can look back and we can say... I really drew close to God during that time. Because I think that's the one reason he leads us into the desert. It's just like our Linton season, where we purposely put ourselves in the desert, restricting our resources, not eating the way we normally eat, not doing the things we normally do. And in fact, most people don't observe this, But Advent also being a season of preparation is a time for fasting. Now most of us are probably not doing that in the midst of our feasting, going to this party or that, etc. But I wonder if you could create some space this week to realize and maybe not just realize but to practice desert life for you so that you can draw close to God. So that He can show you That even in the desert, that's where he wants to bloom. His fruit coming to bear, flourishing, even in a wilderness. Do you believe that can happen? Dear friends, I might submit a personal testimony to you of saying, I know he works his best work when you're in the desert. So, if you're finding yourself not really feeling it... ...and sometimes during the Christmas season... ...we, we even say this, it just doesn't feel like Christmas. I, I don't know what Christmas is supposed to feel like... ...exactly, other than to say... ...we should have joy. We should have joy. Even in the desert, we can have joy. That's kind of the conundrum here, isn't it? We're told to rejoice... We're told here that we should rejoice with joy and singing. And that's why when you read the Psalms, and I hope you do read the Psalms. If you you say, I don't know how to pray, pastor. Read Psalms. I don't know how to worship. Read the Psalms. I don't know how to talk to God. Read the Psalms. I'm going through this. Read the Psalms. I'm going through that. Read the Psalms. You're going to find a friend More psalms than not are laments, not songs of thanks or hymns of praise, but laments. You're going to find a friend because the psalmist spends most of his time, too, in the desert. But can I submit to you this? In a lament, in its ordering, its genre, if you will, the way the song goes, he always leaves room for singing and joy. In other words, he says, well, things look pretty bad. (laughs) I mean, remember Psalm 22, maybe one of the more famous ones, because Jesus quotes it from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? List out the dogs are surrounding me. I'm dying of thirst. They've strung me up on a tree. It's not looking good. But you know how how it ends? I know on the other side, I'm going to be praising you. When I get through this time, I'm going to rejoice. And... Because I went through this time, others will know you because of that. So I wonder, I wonder, if you're in a desert right now, if you're in the wilderness right now, if you're just really going through it right now, doesn't feel like Christmas to you, I wonder if you could defiantly sing today. I know we've already sang some. But I wonder here in a moment if we couldn't defy our own feelings, defy our own knowledge of things. I mean rebel against what the world would have us consumed with darkness instead we stand up today and we rejoice with singing and with joy not as a fake sign but as a faith sign that's what faith is isn't it not being able to see and yet we believe i'm telling you dear brothers and sisters my friends We have someone who we can believe in. Story after story. When the desert looked like it was going to swallow them. God provided for them. Manna from heaven. Water from a rock. They were able to rejoice even in the desert. And they didn't stay there forever. Your desert season won't last forever. This too will pass. But don't miss why God has you in the desert. He has you there so he can trim away the things unnecessary in our life. So that we can bear more fruit. So that we can bloom and blossom as he designed us to. He wants to bring us... Out of slavery, into the desert, and on to the promised land. And aren't you ready for the promised land? Doesn't the desert, in its anticipation of a land flowing with milk and honey, set within us just this interesting sort of joy of expectation? That's what Advent's about. The joy of expectation of what is to come. Do you see it? Do you have that kind of vision? Allow Him to give you visions of what He's going to do. Because if you think some of the things in this world are awesome, like things like friendship, things like friendship. You might have a lot of friends. Wait till you go into the desert, see how many friends you have then. When I went into my desert, I really saw who mattered in my life. And who was just really there along for the ride. People will ride along with you so long as things are going well. When they go poorly, like poor Job, <laughs> he finds out who his real friends are. The desert has its ways Of exposing things. But it also has a way of giving us a deep longing for what is to come. Do you see that yet? If you've been in the desert, you know, oh boy, these things that I have trusted in, they're not the real stuff. I got the good stuff. And so when we have those moments of true friendship and we experience those ecstasies of love... When we we are just overjoyed for moments in our life now, imagine everlasting joy. It's hard for us to imagine it. We have to cling to certain moments of joy now. But the Lord says, no, no, don't cling to that. I've got more to come. Thy kingdom come, O Lord. You see, it's a new exodus. If if, if Pastor Bruce talked about a new garden last week. This is a new exodus? He's moving us toward himself. But we must go through the desert. But the desert doesn't mean it can't be a place where we blossom. Where we flourish. Where there's streams in the wilderness. All right, well, then, now, here in the middle of the text we are told, here is your God. He will come, Advent, that term, remember? Advent, coming. He will come and save you. That's why this is a great Advent text for us today. The Lord is going to come. Notice, He will come. He will come and save you. You know, really, when we speak of Advent, there's really three Advents... You thought about this? We've talked about it before, maybe last Advent. The first Advent, of course, is when He comes in a manger, very lowly. In other words, He comes into the world to save us, like all of us come into the world as a little bitty baby. Have you spent time with a baby? Some of you, are like, yep, I got one at home. Um, you know, some of us forget what it's like to have a baby. Uh, Some of us have never been around little bitty babies, and and even Jessica and I, like, we've had five, right? And yet, when Miss Scarlett came to visit us this week, and we kept her for a few hours, uh, we were all reminded of how babies are. And babies are beautiful and fascinating and needy, aren't they? We forgot, like, man, wow, you have to really attend to babies, you know? like we had forgotten. It's like, what in the world? We're like, oh, yeah, this will be easy. It's like, no, it's not easy. Now, Miss Scarlet's easy. And she actually liked me. I carried her around, and she's just looking at me. I'm looking at her, you know. Babies are amazing and innocent. When you look into her eyes, complete innocence. A world anew. She saw me from across the room, and she's, you know, Looked at me like no adult would look at me, right? Every adult that looked at me just like, what a weirdo, you know. <laughs> look at that guy. What does he think about himself? Yeah. We, we size each other. Babies don't do that. He came as a baby. A helpless little baby. Our God, the God who holds the world in existence, that holds physics together, that created trigonometry. I don't even know what that means created DNA the God who we, we, we still we've got these pictures now of, of further out in the universe we're just amazed by that God right there became a little baby staring back into the face of his mother Mary I mean that's the kind of God that comes the first advent he comes being able to relate to all of us everybody can relate to a baby And you know what? (laughs) It's funny. When a baby cries, everybody comes running. Our our whole crew, all seven of us are just standing around. We don't know what to do. Jessica's doing the the hard work when when she's crying. But it's like we're all just standing around like, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? The cry of a baby pierced the darkness that night and let the world know that one had come to save us all and that with his cry, We should gather around him. That's the baby that came the first advent. But there's a second advent, right? Jesus himself speaks of this advent. He says, look, just as sure as I came the first time, I'm going to come again. And this time, not to a manger. I'm going to come not on a donkey, but instead with a horse, which typically represents victory. Victory. Meaning that he is on a white horse horse (laughs) and he's going to break open the eastern sky and whereas now we are kind of in this moment like we talked about two weeks ago when I preached about the sun setting or the sun rising we're kind of in this this light is shining but it's not full day when he breaks open the eastern sky it'll be full day full day that drives out all darkness All darkness. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that we should not be people of the dark. We need to drive out the darkness in our life now. Because it will not remain. It must not remain. You say, well where's the third advent? (laughs) Did I miss something? Is there something after his second coming? No, no. His second coming is the end of ends, right? But we live between his first advent. And his second, don't we? And. As Isaiah indicates here, he must come to us to save us, which means between his first advent and his second advent, we too must have him advent in us. He must be, maybe we could put it this way, born in us. How was he born in Mary? Do you remember? It wasn't through sexual generation, was it? It wasn't through man's doing. No, 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 no. This is why we hold, and the scripture teaches a virgin birth. It was without man, without the seed of Adam. but rather, notice, the seed of woman. How is that possible? But by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember this? We, we said it a moment ago, right? Conceived by. The Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We literally recite this in some form every week because it is critical to our faith. Jesus, if He is to be born in us, is not our doing. We don't will it. All right, I want to be born again and receive all these things you're talking about, and I will do it. It's done. No. What in the world we do like Mary when the word comes to us out of a out of the mouth of a messenger you remember who the messenger was don't you you know angel just means messenger that's what angel means Gabriel speaks the word and what does she say be it unto me your servant be it unto me your servant yes lord That's how we're born again. The word goes forth, and then we say, be it unto me, Lord. Sounds a lot like that guy and the publican, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what it takes. Submission to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Has that happened to you? Has the Lord been born in you? Have you received this advent? Has he come to your heart to reign? If not, today is your day. The word is going forth. And if he has come, has he come in his fullness? Because Christ, just as a baby, grew up into a full man, didn't he? Didn't he? And he showed us the way. And if we receive Christ in us, he is going to grow in us and show us the way. And it always, always leads to a cross. In other words, my way and his way cannot coexist. It must be only his way. And this is his way. That's why I think we jump to the highway of holiness, right? (laughs) This image of this highway in the midst of this world, notice. In the midst of this world, there's a highway of holiness. Look at the language here. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. This is Christ's way, because Christ is the holy one of God, isn't he? You know, when we get on this way, here's the way it's going to end. Everlasting joy, notice the last few verses here. Joy and glad we'll obtain joy and glad. Sorrow and sighing shall flee. So again, oh, and, and, and you come to Zion with singing, by the way. So we're back to singing. So the first part of the, this text, singing and rejoicing. Last part of this text, singing and rejoicing. And he's like, have you gotten the point yet? When Christ comes in the middle... Of this all, it should, there should be singing. There should be rejoicing. And you know what? There was rejoicing, wasn't it? Upon the announcement of Jesus, there was singing all over the place that was breaking out. Do you remember? Mary sings her song. Zacharias sings when John is named. The angels are singing to the shepherds. And then you have Simeon, who lifts up Jesus at eight days old. And I always love that scene. Lifts up a little baby, eight days old. In the temple, to be circumcised, to take the sign upon himself. And he begins singing a song of redemption. Is there singing in your life? I don't just mean on Sunday. Is there singing? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, I would like to hear if you have. Has anybody ever been mad and whistling? Like, because typically, if you just, like, if you're just out and you hear somebody, right? Now, you didn't see the person, but you can imagine they've got a little pep in their step, you know? It's like, oh, look at there. That fellow's pretty jolly, you know? This is the way we would kind of think it. Like, somebody just, you know, it's like, you wouldn't think, boy, he's just mad as a hornet. Like, have you ever seen anybody mad, you know? Maybe, but I doubt it. A singing in our heart, a melody in our whistling often represents joy, doesn't it? Which is why, again, I come back to the point. If we're on the highway of holiness, if we're headed to the new garden, if we're headed up to the mountain of God, the joyful mountain, the garden city, we are kind of, in a way, in the midst of a world gone bad, we're to be whistling. It reminds me of Tom Bombadil. Do you? Do you uh, forgive me if you don't know this because you say, well, I've watched the Lord of the Rings movies, but I don't remember Tom. Well, it's really sad he's not in there. Want, I'm not going to go into an exposition of why. But he whistles through his woods even when the dark shadow has been cast upon it. Why? Because he has nothing to fear. He's this character that has nothing to fear when everybody around him is scared to death. I wonder if we could defiantly rebel against the norm and sing our way through this week. Whistle our way through, not as a fake gesture, but as a real hope for people. That we are people of faith. That what is seen with this eye, this physical eye... It's not enough that we must be healed. Remember, here in the text, what do we have? The blind, they see. The deaf, they hear. The lame, they go. The speechless, they begin to speak. That's what the Lord would have us do. All of us go through times where we get speechless. We don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't know what to say. Words end. That's when we turn to him. Is there a place of paralysis? Even, even in your life now where you just, I know I should be doing this, but I just, I can't. I can't do it. I'm paralyzed. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he can heal us. Just as Jesus did this in real time, this is also symbolic for us we all need to see more clearly. I know, you, if you watch the news, oh man, good luck with that. Get on social media, good luck with, listen, we are to have eyes that see more than anybody else around us. That can only be done with God. Let's, let's, let's shut off the noise. Turn off the tube, put down the phone, and get a word from him. Open up his present to us and be excited about what he would give us this week. He wants, the God of the universe wants to speak to you. How is social media scrolling more important than that? Now I know it's easier said than, than done, but we've got to make his word premiere in our life. It's got to be in us. He said, I don't really have a desire to read his word. I honestly don't remember the last time I've devotionally then pray for his hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're in a bad place if that's the case. That should indicate that you're in a bad place. Knowing that is a good thing. <laughs> knowing you're in the desert. Knowing that you've run a amok. That's a good thing. Now, let's turn around. Turn to him. And let him help you. Let him give you the desire of your heart. And I can tell you, it's not money, wealth, esteem, it's not pleasure. The ultimate desire of your heart is your Creator. He's given us His Word, He's given us nature, both to point to Himself. And so, let's sing. Let's whistle our way spiritually through this week, the next few weeks of Christmas. Let's do it on purpose, in faith, in hope, allowing his love to be shed abroad in our hearts. It's interesting (laughs) that our gospel reading today is about a prophet who... John the Baptist, remember, he asked Jesus, he he sends his disciples, says, hey, are you the one or should we look for another? Now, why would he ask that? Well, he's in prison. I mean, can you imagine how John might reason in his head once he got into prison? Lord, I didn't even pursue great things. I was in the wilderness speaking your word. And now I'm in prison? I'm a family member of yours and I'm in prison? And he asked, or are you the one or should we wait for another? He wasn't giving up the faith, notice. He just said, hey, are you the one or, or, or should we just keep still waiting? What does Jesus say to him? Yes, John, I'm the one, buddy. No, Somebody not what he says, is it? Don't you love Jesus for that reason? <laughs> that's how I would have answered. Yes, of course, you nincompooped. What in the world's wrong with you? You're the one who identified me. Uh, no. God is so much wiser than we are. So much less petty than we are. Let me put it this way than I am. He says, No. He said, I'll tell you what. John will get it when I say this. Tell him to hear and to see what I'm doing. It's interesting. And what you hear and see is this the lame walk. The blind they see, the deaf they hear, the mute he speaks. That's what he gave him to believe. And you know what? That's what Christ gives his church to be a witness to everyone else. In other words, what I mean by that is our witness. Christ opens our eyes so that we can share that we can now see. We can see more than just my immediate suffering. Where we've been paralyzed, unable to overcome sin, he has made us strong to put away our sin and pursue what is best. Where we couldn't hear, he has given us ears to hear. So that now when we read his word, it's like, oh man... Used to, this meant nothing to me. Now look, I cling to this word. That's our witness. We too, like Jesus, should witness to what we hear and what we see. To the reality that God is at work in us, saving us, transforming us. Is that your testimony? And if it is, then who have you shared that with? Are you showing the world the way through what you hear and see? Because in our text today, that's what it's all about, these symbols, this message. It's what we see in these symbols, the highway of holiness. And it's what we hear, that there will be everlasting joy that should push us on to reach out to the world, a world that is dying, a world that needs Jesus Because that world is passing away and his world is arising. His kingdom is coming. So, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice. Here's the instruction that he gives us today. It's back up near the front. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. You know, most of the world, historically, I'll end it with this. Most of the world, historically has not had it as good as we do. Most of the world hasn't. I mean, you think about like, let's just say there's been 7,000 years of of human existence. Who knows how long? Different discussion. Let's just say 7,000. Of that 7,000 years, do you know how much of those 7,000 years were done with air conditioning? Hardly any. Can you even imagine that? Air conditioning. <laughs> You're like, well, nobody lived in the South, apparently. No, they did. Without hospitals, without surgical procedures that are easy to save lives now, without medicine now that just simply does away with certain diseases that wreaked havoc on entire populations in being able to get on a plane today and be in a different part of the world like other side of the world tomorrow like what kind of world do we live in now my point is this most of the world has struggled simply to eat drink and have shelter and basic necessities where other kings or tyrants were oppressing them and even today in our world This is still a real existence, but it's way less than it was. You say, what point are you making, Pastor? (laughs) I'm making this point. Most of the world's prayers have been about physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. I dare say no one in this room has to pray that today. Not in a way that you don't have food in the cabinet. That you can't be assisted by the government or assisted by... Huntsville Assistance Program. We have ways to feed you now. That's probably not the greatest concern, but here's what has become the greatest concern. There's more suicide, anxiety, depression, than apparently there ever has been in all of the world. What's happened? We've had our physical needs met. But in here it's an absolute disaster of meaninglessness. Living a life of that's vapid, stripped of meaning. That's the world that we're called to. Because I'm telling you, when Jesus comes in, he orders what's in here. He cleans it up. I came into a kitchen this morning, that was a disaster. And before I could even start looking over my sermon, I had to clean the thing up. And it was awesome afterwards to look and say, now I can work properly because everything's not a disaster. We're a mess in here. Our culture is a mess in here. We have more physically than we can imagine, but not in here, not in here. Revelation sees a day and even a church of this matter and we're living in it right now. Dry and thirsty desert in here. Oh God, would you help us bring a message of hope to anxiety and depression? Would you help us Lord, to be a conduit of the water that springs to new life, that helps a person blossom and not be stymied by fear. Lord, would you make us, right here in this room, the bread that people eat, which means sometimes they'll tear us up, but let them so that they might taste and see that you are good. I think he's calling us to exactly that this morning. That's why the Hebrew writer says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, come, let us adore him. Come, let us sing to him and rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.